Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of I'm Glad You Asked. There was this thing around the 1920s in the United States called the Algonquin Roundtable. It was called that for no other reason than the writers and witcrackers who formed its membership met at the Algonquin Hotel in New York City. The Algonquin Hotel, in turn, got its name from the Algonquin people, a group of Native, American North, Native North Americans who lived mostly in the Pacific Northwest of what is now the United States and Canada. They got their name, it is thought, from a Maliseet word meaning they are our relatives. And that's as far back as I'm going to go. What am I, your damn personal researcher? Go read a book if you want word origins. Sheesh. Anyway, the Algonquin Roundtable, a bunch of literary wits, or maybe snobs would be a better term, who met right about when Prohibition got going, carried through the Teapot Dome scandal, was active during the Scopes Monkey Trial, and broke up right about the Wall Street market crash. They just sort of exchanged jokes and barbs and generally discussed matters of the day. They were famous, though some quipped that they were famous for being famous, and their musings became stuff folks paid attention to. I bring all this up because I was reminded of just this very thing when I had another rousing and stimulating, not in that way, calm down, discussion with a friend and colleague at my work. What makes this so remarkable, and it's my podcast, so I'll tell you what's remarkable, thank you very much, is that the two of us are colleagues because we're both football coaches. Yes, two football coaches were talking and using not just words instead of grunts and farts, but using polysyllabic words and dependent clauses. We are rather firmly on opposite sides of the political spectrum, this coach and I, but he was able to elucidate his opinion in a most felicitous manner, and I, just as erudite, was able to counterpoise his rhetoric with, though I say it who shouldn't, my own perspicacious musings. Yes, a word from last week's podcast. Bonus points to moi. The topic? How come things are so polarized, so tribal in today's political culture? I've written on this before, although I find that there are multiple reasons. I think the main reason we have become unable or unwilling to engage in true discourse is one side has decided that it isn't going to engage in good faith arguments anymore. Rational argument, statements intended to promote a point of view with relevant evidence, has given way to just owning the libs. That is, it's more important to say something that will make the other side gasp and clutch their collective pearls than it is to advance an argument. My partner countered with the idea that the other side, in this case, the aforementioned libs, are so eager to take offense and thus try and claim the high ground that argument breaks down. Language is no longer being used as a vehicle for thought, but as a cudgel with which to strike another for using an inappropriate term. His point is well taken, and I think the two ideas are not mutually exclusive. Picture this, a red-blooded Murican, spelled apostrophe M-U-R-I-C-A-N, Murican, wearing his MAGA hat, his Locker Up t-shirt, which is 2XL and it still doesn't fit right across his impressive belly, and beard that smells like Marlboro's, facing off against a cuck snowflake LGBTQIA allied vegan with non-culturally appropriating dreadlocks and a vape pen. You know what will happen. The liberal will say something, anything, and a way to response from the conservative. He or she, 
or gender fluid, individual isn't really looking to start a conversation. He, she, er is looking to trap the murican into saying something offensive. And the murican is only too happy to oblige. The lib says, uh, don't you think transitioning folk deserve to use whatever restroom they feel is appropriate to them? And the murican will answer, I think them queers need to be shot. See, I don't think the Murican really thinks that. He just knows it'll trigger the lib. That's all he wants, to see the snowflake gasp and drop his hemp beads and retreat to a safe space. But conversely, I don't think the snowflake was really going to listen to the Murican no matter what he said. As much as the Murican was just trying to own the liberal, the liberal was, in his own way, trying to own the conservative. Neither side was truly engaging in good faith argument. I know what you're thinking. Whichever side of this you are on, you're thinking, but my guy was in the right. It's the other one who needs to change, shut up, go back to Africa, Arkansas. The trouble is, when one side is engaging in good faith discussion and the other one isn't, bad feeling builds up. When a liberal asks in good faith, what is it about Donald Trump that makes you vote for him? The Trump supporter could say, well, I saw that the system was failing me under both conventional Republican Democratic politics, so I was desperate to try a new approach. That would be, could be the beginning of discourse. But instead, the con says, because he's tough, keeps America first and says what he thinks, unlike Barack Hussein Obama, who wasn't born here and is a Muslim and eats kale. Or, if he does give a sincere, rational answer, the lib responds with, oh, so you're okay with racists and sexual predators, and again, discourse fails. We're too interested in winning the debate as opposed to actually having one. So what does all this have to do with football? Well, I'm glad you asked. Hey, that's the title of this podcast. I should probably try to work that phrase into all future episodes. Look at that, gentle listener. History was made, and you were there. Anyway, I'm glad you asked. Football, indeed, all sport on the youth level, is not about winning. We keep score. Sure, we record wins and losses. The stated goal of the game is to score more points than your opponent. Unless it's golf, then it's to score less. But you get the point. So you're wondering, how can the sport not be about winning when we track who wins and who loses? Because what sport is truly about is the struggle. Again, not necessarily the struggle against an opponent. The opponent is just there so you have something to measure yourself against. The other team is the yardstick, nothing more. No, youth sport isn't about winning and it isn't even about the opponent. It's about bettering yourself. It's about struggling with yourself, with your own limitations, with your own previous best and finding a way to push that a little bit further. It's why we want to be in great games so we're forced by someone else to achieve more than we would have alone. Winning is nice. It's nice to have a win, to give outside validation to our efforts, the same way a birthday cake is nice to have to mark the milestone of not dying. You know, I used to not understand the phrase many happy returns when people said that about birthdays. Happy birthday, many happy returns. I now know it's short for many happy returns of the day. As in, I hope this day vis-a-vis -vis your birthday returns many more times. Or as in, 
I hope you don't die for a long time. Well, that's nice, isn't it? But anyway, to return, sport is not about winning. In the best games, the very best ones, both sides got better. Both sides competed. Both sides achieved. A true sportsman will watch her competitor accomplish something, even if it is in direct opposition to her own efforts, and acknowledge the achievement. Debate, argument, is also not about winning. My students, some of whom I hope are listening, hi kids, hear me say that argument isn't about winning. It's about presenting the truth as you see it. Now, of course, I'm speaking about subjective truth here, truth in the sense of a particular interpretation of facts. Objective truth, that is, verifiable facts, cannot be debated no matter what the pundits say. I covered that idea in the first episode under the future of rhetoric when I talked about how the concept of objective truth is under attack. For instance, one cannot reasonably debate or argue with a person who denies basic objective truth, like a flat earther or a holocaust denier, a person who believes Star Wars is better than Star Trek. These people deny basic truth so that argument is impossible. But even so, the point of argument is not to win it. You don't win an argument. You successfully present the truth, your subjective interpretation of facts upon which we all agree to someone else and let them do with it what they will. And if you're like me, you believe in the fundamental goodness and intelligence of the human race and know that if you can do it right and you can present your truth in a way someone else can accept, they get better as a result. And so do you. And so do we all. So, sports fans, I realize it's hard to accept that a football coach with bald shins and a cholesterol level that if converted to IQ would make him a super genius could form a series of cogent thoughts beyond meat plus fire equal good. But that's what happened. My coaching colleague and myself, despite being on rather opposite sides of the political spectrum, had an intelligent, courteous, and fascinating argument. And in one sense of the word, Neither of us won, but in another sense of the word, we both did, because we both had our horizons broadened, just by a little bit, by exposure to a different interpretation of the facts at hand. You should try that yourself. All right, see you next week.